You are listening to Paranormal Probe with Trip Tanfell. Welcome back, everybody, to this episode of the Paranormal Probe podcast, and I hope you're all doing well. I'm Trip Tantel from the 10-Step Studios, and thanks for joining us for episode number seven. And on this show, by request, we're going to be exploring some great reports of hauntings. Keep in mind, there are many, many old articles that contain a lot of information on all of these stories, and I sifted through a bunch of it. Although I believe all of this is true, there is always the possibility that some of this information has been misreported or even twisted a little over time. We begin today's episode of Haunted Houses with a historical place in San Diego, California. Some people claim that this place, called the Whaley House, is one of the most haunted houses in the United States. This structure was transformed many times over the years and was originally used as a personal residence, but then became a local store, a theater, a courthouse, and a school. And it was also the home of many different businesses. The history of this piece of land actually starts all the way back in 1852 with a man named Yankee Jim Robinson. Yankee Jim was well known in the San Diego area. In fact, he was highly suspected of committing numerous crimes in the local area. These offenses included robbery, theft, and even murder, and he had been arrested on several occasions for those violations. As the story goes, Yankee Jim was involved in the theft of a boat back in 1852 with a couple accomplices. He was arrested, tried in court, and found guilty of the theft. And unlike today's world, back in those days, criminals paid a heavy price for their crimes and punishment was harsh. As I said, Yankee Jim was found guilty of grand larceny and his sentence was decided to be death by hanging. It was normal for people to be hung in public for their crimes for all to see, and this was the case for Jim. A crude structure was built with a rope and a noose attached. Yankee Jim was brought up to the noose while he stood in a wagon pulled by a team of mule. The noose was placed around his neck, and then the mule pulled the wagon away, leaving Yankee Jim swinging by his neck. One of the people in the large crowd who witnessed the hanging was a man named Thomas Whaley. And as it would turn out, Mr. Whaley would purchase this land a few years later, and he would construct a house for his family on the very spot where Yankee Jim was hung. It wasn't long after the Whaley's had moved into their new home that they noticed strange events taking place. They started hearing loud sounds of footsteps walking throughout the house, and on occasion, the windows would open by themselves when no one was nearby. The Whaley's and their children were all convinced they were being visited by the ghost of old Yankee Jim. There are yet other stories of family friends fleeing the property 
after hearing and seeing unexplainable and unnerving activity in and around the house. As the years passed, the home would eventually be turned into a museum, which is still the case today. It's known as the Whaley House Museum, and there are still reports of strange occurrences being experienced by visitors of the museum. However, instead of all these anomalies being attributed to Yankee Jim, there are many people that claim they've seen apparitions of what appear to be Thomas Whaley, his wife, and at times others that may not even be connected to the Whaley family. There are so many reports from so many witnesses, you almost have to believe there could be some truth to the story of the Whaley House in San Diego. As we continue on our tour of haunted places around the globe, we're going to pay a visit to Louisville, Kentucky. Now back in the early 1900s, there were epidemic levels of tuberculosis around the entire United States, and there was very little understanding of the disease. Tuberculosis was also known as the White Plague or White Death, and back then there was no known cure for the sickness, and many people died from it. In fact, those who were known to have TB were kept away from the general public to try to control the outbreak. This was a very contagious illness. In Louisville, Kentucky, a so-called hospital was opened in 1910 and was used to treat those afflicted with tuberculosis. The original building was only intended to have an occupancy of about 50 patients, but it would soon be packed with as many as 140 patients. Louisville had one of the highest TB death rates in America. Eventually, in 1926, a new and much larger sanatorium was constructed that could accommodate over 400 people, and this was considered to be a modern, state-of-the-art facility at that time. Now comes the scary backstory. Many people believe there were untold medical experiments performed on those who had tuberculosis. Remember, TB was very contagious and there was no cure. And also keep in mind that regulations were few and far between, so it was somewhat common for medical practitioners to try to invent cures through radical experimentation. Some also described this as abuse and even torture. Some of the treatments included removing ribs to increase lung capacity or even installing and inflating balloons in the lungs. There are claims that the death rates soared at this sanitarium and efforts were made to conceal just how many dead bodies were being removed from the building. In fact, there was a hallway in Waverly that was constructed on a downward slope that was known as the body chute. This was basically a tunnel that was built with a rail system to lower corpses down a hill to empty train cars where the bodies would be piled up and then they would be removed by train from the area. Some of the stories I read during my research included many deaths by suicide. Numerous patients jumped from windows or hanged themselves. Even some of the nurses who worked at the facility killed themselves to escape the horrors they had witnessed in this hospital. In particular, room 502 apparently was the scene of at least a few tragic suicides. As tuberculosis became better understood and treatments advanced, the epidemic started to decline, and in the early 1960s, 
the Waverly Hills Tuberculosis Sanitarium was closed. However, a year later, this treatment center would reopen as an old age home called the Woodhaven Geriatrics Sanitarium. Unfortunately, some of the remedies used to treat the elderly patients at Woodhaven mimicked the barbaric therapies used during the Waverly Hills years. But by this time, electroshock therapy had become more commonplace, and there were even more gruesome stories about more deaths that were possibly caused by the treatment itself. So over the period of the early 1900s to the early 1980s, where Woodhaven was closed, there were untold numbers of horrified people who were experimentally tortured or died on these grounds. Now the reason why the extensive backstory I just explained is so important is because this old dilapidated structure still stands and there have been many instances of people who snuck into the building to explore what remains. While some of these people are just everyday curious explorers, there are also some who have psychic abilities and some who are paranormal investigators and many have reported that this place is heavily haunted. These accounts included people seeing ghosts walking throughout the building, voices and screams are heard in some areas, and others see darting shadows around the hallways. Some say they hear footsteps, the sound of doors slamming, and children crying, as well as a report of an old hearse at the back of the building dropping off coffins. Yet others tell of ungodly sounds coming from the famous Room 502. Although this property is not open to the public, there are still occasional studies and investigations that seem to confirm the extensive hauntings that many people have experienced. So while this sanitarium is well known as the most haunted site in Kentucky, it is also claimed by many to be one of the most haunted buildings in all of America. Next, our upcoming story is about a house that's famous for a couple of reasons. First, it's a real haunted house, and second, there was a major Hollywood movie made about this house called The Conjuring. Many people don't realize that the movie was actually based on a true story, so if you're one of those people, here is the true backstory. Also real quick, I would like to point out that some of these details and descriptions may be very disturbing to children, so it's best if they don't listen in. And let me add one more disclaimer here. During my research of this story, I found tons of information, and at times, some of the information was conflicting. I deciphered it the best I could, but I wanted you to know that if you're familiar with this case, you may have heard different versions than the one I'm about to present. Back in 1736, a beautiful little farmhouse was built in Harrisville, Rhode Island on Round Top Road which was largely secluded, and little is known about the original property owners other than eight generations of their family lived there. As the years passed, eventually the property was sold to a family named the Arnolds, and again, not much is known about what may have transpired during the Arnolds' possession, but over time, this house would become known as the House of Darkness. Rumors circulated about the house being haunted and that there had been numerous unexplained deaths on the estate. The house was situated on about 200 acres, 
and in 1971, the property, along with the 14-room farmhouse, was sold to the Perrin family. And it is said that the day this family of seven moved into the house, Mr. Arnold was overheard telling Mr. Perrin to always leave the lights on at night. What happened during the Perrin's occupancy is what the world would learn in the movie called The Conjuring. Soon after the Perrins moved into the house, they began to experience a whirlwind of dark and mysterious activity. It started with simple things, like a broom that would seem to move around the house by itself, and sometimes it would disappear altogether. And even after the floors were freshly swept, small piles of dirt would appear right after they were cleaned. Other times, the family would notice the pungent smell of rotting flesh and see spirits throughout the house and property, and at times, objects were launched across the room and smashed into the walls all by themselves. On one occasion, birds started flying into the windows, and on the following day, the family's dog Sadie, who had refused to enter the house, was found dead out in the backyard. It wasn't long before the Perrin family realized they were not living in the farmhouse alone. As the supernatural incidents escalated, those in the house would start to hear voices and noises coming from empty rooms. They would be touched by spirits that were invisible to the naked eye, and at times, furniture and beds would violently lift off of the floor and slam back down again. The parents were terrified from being continuously taunted in their own home, but they didn't have the money to buy a different place, so they were basically trapped. They had no options but to try to deal with this situation. They decided to contact a couple named Ed and Lorraine Warren, who are well known for their investigation skills in dealing with the paranormal and demons. This is the same couple that was asked to help out in the Amityville horror case. Ed and Lorraine agreed to help the Perrin family to see if they could persuade the evil entities to move out of the house and let the family live in peace. Ed and Lorraine gathered as much evidence as possible and discovered many spirits, some that were harmless and some that were filled with evil. One spirit in particular who was a previous resident of the house sometime back in the 1800s, was a lady named Bathsheba Sherman, and she was known as an angry and cruel individual. It was also uncovered that she was the entity that practiced Satanism, and she was responsible for a majority of the horrific happenings in the farmhouse. It was also divulged that there were accounts about the death of a neighbor's child that Bathsheba was allegedly responsible for by piercing the brain of the child with a large needle during one of her rituals. It was also stated that she was never actually convicted of that crime. Now this old farmhouse was constructed with a basement. It was common back in those days to have dirt floors in the basements and many times the foundations were made of natural stone. When the parents bought this house, they noticed the entrance to the basement had been boarded up. Their basement was described as cold, dank, and unwelcoming, and the family only went down there when it was absolutely necessary. Otherwise, they always avoided the basement. However, Ed and Lorraine Warren chose this area of the house to hold a seance. 
Eyewitness accounts of this seance are unbelievable. It was disclosed that during the seance, the scene became so chaotic and terrifying that it was like a trip to hell. Mrs. Perrin was possessed by Bathsheba Sherman, and at one point, she completely levitated in her chair and started speaking in a language no one could understand. Her body was involuntarily contorted into a ball, and then she was propelled across the room right into a wall. Somehow, they made it through the hellacious seance, but they also chose to immediately end the investigation by the Warrens, which lasted about a year. They had failed to force the bad energy from the house, and the parents weren't willing to go through any more torture. Although the intensity of the hauntings seemed to decline, there were more ghastly occurrences that continued on. During one incident, Mrs. Perrin would explain that while she walked into their dining area, there was a large family dressed in 18th century clothes seated at the table, eating their meal. One of the spirits, an older man, noticed Mrs. Perrin and looked in her eyes. He looked startled and pointed at her as the others at the table also turned their heads towards her. Then suddenly, they all disappeared in a snap. Like the families before them, the parents would sell the property and relocate to a different state altogether. As I mentioned at the beginning of this story, there are many different versions of what happened at that farmhouse. And Carolyn Perrin, who is the mother of the family, states that many details have never been made public and never will be. However, she has written a couple books over the years about the horrendous events during the parents' residency at that house. So if you would like to learn more about the facts from someone who actually survived this ordeal, I would choose one of her books to get the real narrative. I will end this tragic story with this. As I mentioned, the parents sold the property to a different family. The family that now occupies this land are paranormal investigators, and they insist that this land and the house are still the target of many supernatural events. Some say the house was built on a supernatural portal. Their intentions are to continue investigating the paranormal events that are taking place. I have a feeling that we will be hearing more someday about this farmhouse on a hilltop on Round Top Road. Well, next on the agenda, I decided to keep with the theme of famous hauntings that there have been movies made about. And this one is another big one. Everyone has heard about the Amityville Horror, which is about a haunted house in Amityville, New York, and that is where we are headed now. I've said this before, and I'm going to repeat it. I like to concentrate on stories that have real merit. If I find any evidence that a story has been made up or fabricated, I will not waste my time on that kind of story. And in addition, I always try to get as many facts as possible from people who were actually a party to the story, or at least from people who are on the inner circle. I never base my interpretations on TV shows or movies. Those kinds of productions, in many cases, are so embellished that it's more fiction than truth, and I search for exactly the opposite of that. I can't guarantee every word of these stories is true as I present them, 
But I can say I make an honest effort to make sure I'm only dealing with true facts. So now let's get to it. This all starts back in November of 1974 in a town in Long Island, New York called Amityville. In the middle of the night, a man named Ronald DeFeo Jr. shot and killed his entire family while they slept with a 35 caliber rifle. This included his mom and dad and four siblings. All six victims were found laying face down in their beds. I don't think the real reason for the killings has ever been clear. There's a lot of conflicting information about this. Some reports say Ronald DeFeo denied being the killer and maintained that his father was in the mob and this was actually a mob hit. Other reports claim he was being directed by Satan to perform these killings. And yet other accounts say DeFeo was abused by his father and this led up to the mass killings. The end result is that Ronald DeFeo apparently confessed to the gruesome, cold-blooded murders and was found guilty on all six counts of second-degree murder in November of 1975. He spent the rest of his life in jail, and actually, he just recently died in March of 2021 at the age of 69. This is a very sad story. All of my research indicates that his dad was very successful and they had a very normal, happy family. But Ronald Jr. was reported to be involved in drugs and small-time crime. So, after all of those tragic deaths in that house, what do you do with the house? Well, it was put up for sale and someone bought it. Now, personally, you couldn't pay me enough to move into a house with that kind of atrocious energy. But in this case, a family named Lutz bought the house and moved in. And even though they would only stay there for a month, the awful things they experienced are still scrutinized today. George and Kathy Lutz moved into the house with their three children in December of 1975. They were a young family who owned a successful family business. One strange bit of information that I ran across several times was a report that George Lutz dabbled in the occult, although he denied the accusation. Shortly after they moved in to the Amityville three-story home, there began a series of ghostly incidents such as doors and windows slamming and the sounds of footsteps coming from empty areas of the house. One day, Kathy discovered a secret red room that had an entrance that was hidden behind a bookcase. The family's dog refused to enter this room. George once said the room sometimes had the smell of an open sewer pipe. There was even one occasion where a picture was taken and captured a young boy in the house. This was not one of the Lutz boys, and they claimed there were no boys in the house when that picture was taken. So this is the image of a ghost. According to George and Kathy Lutz on a televised interview on Good Morning America, one day Kathy had been touched in broad daylight by something or someone that was not visible. She discussed it with her husband, but they could not decide what actually touched Kathy. They also noted that suddenly hordes of flies would appear mainly in just two rooms in the house. They repeatedly exterminated the flies, but they would continue reappearing. They also mentioned that this happened in the cold winter months, not in the summer when it's more typical for flies to be more of a problem. 
As they continued their interview, they described a gel-like substance would come out of some of the walls. They thought at first that their children were possibly playing around and put this unidentified material on the walls, but then they realized that this slimy gel would appear sometimes when the children were at school. They had so many unexplained instances that concerned them that they decided to contact a priest to bless the house. However, when they tried calling the priest, the telephone would not work as if there was faulty wiring. They had the phone company come to the house three times to make repairs, but the repairman found nothing wrong with the phone lines. Eventually, they did make contact with the priest, and some of the comments made by the priest years later were startling. This priest, who has always remained anonymous and for many years refused to speak with the media, describes how he personally experienced one extremely cold room in the house when the rest of the house was much warmer. And during his blessing, while he sprinkled holy water, he heard a disembodied voice tell him to get out. When he turned around, no one was there. He was also slapped in the face, but again, no one was near him. Days later, the priest discovered blistering on his hands. He went to a doctor, but after the doctor inspected his blistered hands, he could not confirm what caused the blisters. The priest decided to contact the Lutzes and explained what had happened to him but due to extreme noise and telephone interference, he could not get through. There were also major temperature changes in the house that couldn't be explained. Sometimes, temps would change as much as 40 to 50 degrees instantly. Several service calls were made to check the furnace, and although it was confirmed the furnace seemed to be working properly, the temperature in the house would fluctuate wildly in different rooms. Additional reports were that the porcelain in several of the toilets started to turn black even though the water was clear. A similar black substance was also secreting from some keyholes in the doors. One article I read was an interview with George Lutz as he described how on one occasion his wife turned into an image of a very old woman and then she levitated. During their time in the house, they had a few different paranormal investigative research groups analyze these issues, but no causes or conclusions were ever determined. One very interesting statement was made by George on the Merv Griffin Show back in 1979. He stated that about 25 to 30 of the investigators that had been inside the house and were researching the Lutz's story all had very odd events that happened in their personal lives. Some of them experienced nausea and headaches. Some had unexpected financial problems, and one of them had a tornado destroy their house. Throughout this ordeal, both George and Kathy had lost a significant amount of weight from the stress of being bombarded with all of these non-stop strange happenings. After being targeted by many in the public and facing accusations of making all of these stories up, both George and Kathy volunteered to take lie detector tests, which both of them passed. At that point, the Lutzes had enough. They decided to immediately leave the house, and they left without even taking their belongings. They just wanted out. 
I did find some reports that claim the bad energy that the Lutzes experienced followed them after leaving that house in Amityville. However, the family that moved in after the Lutzes say that they have never had any unusual or frightening episodes happen to them. One of the Lutz children, who was interviewed years later as an adult, admitted that the stories were all true. He added that he was possessed by a spirit during their brief stay in the house, and at times he had episodes of lying in bed as the bed began to shake violently. He also remembered the priest being swarmed by flies as the blessing of the house took place. So this one kind of leaves you scratching your head a little bit. It's, uh, it's pretty convincing. But the Lutzes, their kids, several repairmen, several paranormal investigators, and a priest all witnessed puzzling anomalies in the house. But yet there is no conclusive evidence of what caused all of the occurrences. Personally, I'm a believer. But this time, you'll have to be the judge. And that completes this episode of the Paranormal Probe podcast. I really enjoyed this show because I was able to find enormous amounts of information on a couple of these stories. Many times the details are somewhat limited, but this time it was different. Also, I want to thank those of you who have emailed me with comments and requests. And by the way, you can contact this show by emailing comments at paranormalprobe.com. Again, that's comments at paranormalprobe.com. Let me know your thoughts or if you have any stories, I would love to hear about those too. I did receive several emails about the show I did about USOs. Those are the unidentified submerged objects, and I have to admit, this surprises me just a little bit. Apparently, many people are unfamiliar with the events that have been taking place with UFOs underwater. I also track how much traffic I get on each Paranormal Probe podcast, and I notice there are a lot more listeners on the show about USOs than any other topic covered by this podcast. Therefore, my next show will be a follow-up on USOs with even more events that have been publicized about this phenomenon. I'm also excited to say that we are now attracting listeners from around the world. Now, this show is produced in the United States, but people are now tuning in from England to Ireland to Australia, to name a few, and we welcome all of you. As always, thanks to everyone for listening in to the Paranormal Probe podcast, and I hope you'll join us again. And don't forget, be happy, be healthy, and be here for our next show. I'm Trip Tanfell from the 10-Step Studios, and we'll see you next time. Uh-huh.